this, I start practically almost every PowerPoint presentation with this image or a version of it. This is a visual representation of the internet, visual map of the internet. It's actually from about <clears throat> 2004, I think. It's a little bit old. But I'm trying to communicate to you, when you think about the internet, you need to think about a vast distributed system. Each of these, every little point on this system is a website, right? Is a destination on the internet. And there are literally millions of them, right? And, and, uh, and the traffic is really pretty vastly distributed. So like I said, it's going to be a little bit like drinking from the fire hose. I'm going to talk pretty quickly and go through a lot of things here. And please don't hesitate to raise your hand and ask me to stop. So I mentioned I worked on a Dean campaign, and that's kind of how I'm trying to frame this today is, you know, what do I think if you wanted to start a online campaign or you wanted to supplement your campaign with online stuff, what do I think the critical building blocks are? The, um, there is so much stuff out there, right? Uh, there are literally hundreds of websites and services and tools and companies and it can get really overwhelming and really confusing. And um, I think sometimes people get distracted by the technology. The technology is really, uh, in some ways, not that important. The message, the organizing, the people, that's the important part. And the technology just serves it. So I would urge you never to get distracted by technology. If you put too much energy into designing and building a web tool, you're probably wasting your time. You should put most of your energy and most of your money into figuring out how to reach people, right? Not into designing web tools. And so there are lots of interesting web tools, but don't waste your time on them, right? Get focused on reaching people, and then the tools will follow and serve that, right? So. Uh, whoa, whoa. That, that's what that's supposed to say, is you need to be focused on your online strategy, not your online infrastructure, right? And you do need some basics, but a lot of that really boils down to being able to send emails. The, um, so this is kind of what I'm going to try and run through today, hoping I have enough time. There are kind of five critical things you have to be able to do. You have to be able to easily update your website. Non-technical people need to be able to update your website. You hear a lot about blogs, but really all a blog is in some sense is a tool that a non-technical person can use to update, to publish things to the web. You need to be able to collect and manage email addresses. That's really important. You need to be able to send email to those email addresses in an easy, uh, spam-free way, right? That's frequently referred to as bulk email. I'm going to go into each of these in some detail. You may want, depending on how political uh, your, your campaign is, you may want some other action tool set. That might include fundraising. That might include uh, meeting or event organizing tools. That might include um, uh, send a letter to your member of Congress, letter to the editor, call your elected official. Those are some of the additional kinds of action tools you might want. And uh, finally, 
you know, in some ways least important is being uh, able to use what they call social media, which is kind of a blanket term covering a broad range of websites to really distribute all of the content that you're doing, all of your actions, all of your work. Once you have those five things, you need to be able to bring it all together in a really compelling strategic way and actually campaign online, right? But you can't get to that more sophisticated place until you have some of the basics really covered. So let's start number one. You gotta be able to, non-technical people have to be able to publish to your website, right? Like I said, a proxy for this is sometimes when people talk about blogs. Another, uh, another term you'll hear sometimes is a CMS, a content management system. It's just a fancy way of saying you ought to be able to publish to your website without calling someone and who kills you by the hour. I like WordPress.com. It's cheap. Specifically, it's free. Uh, it's easy to use. You can do a lot with it. If you want to spend a little bit of money, like $10 a year or $20 a year or $30 a year, you can buy some add-ons for it. But it's you can go to WordPress.com tonight and have a website in 10 minutes. And it can look pretty good, and you can publish content to it really easily. Right? You can publish things to it really easily. The things you can publish could be your blog posts, could be your press releases, could be whatever you want to publish. Uh, in addition to WordPress.com, there's a variety of other ones. There's Blogger.com. Uh, geez, there's probably a dozen or so really top-notch blogging services, and I think they're all pretty good. WordPress just happens to be my favorite. Questions? Once you have a website that you can easily publish to, the next thing is you got to get people to sign up to visit your website. If you just put up a website and you tell people about it, people tend to forget. They don't tend to repeat visit websites very readily. If I was to watch all of your, your internet habits over the next uh, week, I bet that there's a couple sites you visit every day. Your email, you know, probably Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo Mail, maybe the Harvard Webmail, uh, maybe a shopping site like Amazon, maybe a news site and a search site, Google, Yahoo, or Bing. And you probably, that's it, right? And you essentially use your, am I missing one? Or social network. And social network, Facebook, that's a communication tool. Uh, and in order to get to every other website, you would use your email, your Facebook, your Google. That's how you find other stuff, right? And so uh, because of that, once you have your site up, the way you get people to come back to your site and visit it is you send them an email and remind them. You send them an email and say, hey, I just pub published this great thing on my website, or I have this great new thing I need you to do. And in order to send them an email, you have, they have to sign up with you. They have to say, I want an email from you. Because if someone doesn't actively sign up with you and you send them an email, what is it? Spam. Spam, right? You'll notice the Obama campaign is really good at this. Every time you visit just about every website, you don't get anything else except please sign up with your email address, right? It's about all you ever get when you, when you first visit many of the, uh, well, uh, these days it's kind of best practices on a lot of political websites. So once you have a website that you can easily publish to, now you have to collect email addresses. 
Once you collect email addresses, you have to be able to talk to them, right? You have to be able to send them emails regularly in a way that keeps you out of spam filters, in a way that is easy for you to manage. You know, if you try and, if you use Gmail or Outlook or Yahoo Mail or Hotmail to try and send mail to more than two or 300 people, they freak out because they think you're spamming. So you need a special tool to email a large volume of people. The free tool is Google Groups. There's also Yahoo Groups. It doesn't cost you any money. But there's drawbacks to these tools. That One of the major ones is they don't allow uh, for a lot of formatting. Another major drawback is they don't allow for uh, 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 very much in the way of metrics. So you can pay for a tool. Two of the paid tools I like are myemma.com and streamsend.com. This is a screen, this is a picture from streamsend.com. And one of the best parts about when you pay for a tool is you get uh, reports on how many people opened your email, how many people clicked through on the email. And if you start to build a really sophisticated email strategy, you can test subject lines to figure out, well, 12% of the people opened an email with this subject line and 36% of the people opened an email with this subject line. So when we send the email to the whole list, we're gonna use the one that 36% open. However, if you don't care, and this has got to be low budget, you should start with Google Groups. Um, the pricing on these bulk email programs, uh, uh, providers, tends to be based on volume. If you have two people on your email list, but you send them 100 emails a month, you pay for 200 emails sent, right? If you have 200 people on your email list and you only send one email a month, you pay for 200 emails sent. And so that's the pricing is essentially volume based on volume of email. Question? Question? Yeah, I would comment. And I would say OpenOffice also has the ability to send personalized mass emails. Uh, so that's also very cool and free. OpenOffice does? Yeah. Right, so is that a bulk email tool in the software package? Sorry? Is that. When you download OpenOffice, is there is there one? It's of in the, there. It's in there. So basically, you create a, a tablet file with your address and your names, and then you can include the Excellent. name fields. And I was going to ask. Um, so when does it um, stop being sort of engagement through email and start being spam? How many emails is that appropriate to send? Well, one, if everyone on your email list has what they call opted in, if everyone has signed up with you. Sure. has come to your website and said, I want to get email from you, then uh, then technically it's never spam. Uh, provided that on every email you give them a, a chance to unsubscribe. I know, but I don't mean that. A one, like, is, for me it gets annoying. I can sign up for one email a week, but I wouldn't sign up for, you know. So you just have to watch the stats. Right. After you send an email, how many people sign up versus how many unsubscribe? What's the net growth? of your email list based on your volume of your email traffic, right? So you may discover when you send four in one week, your unsubscribed shoot way up. And if you send one, one a month, they stay pretty good. Every list is a little different. Mm -hmm. I tend to encourage people to send a lot of email until you can see you're hitting a threshold, right? One reason for that is uh, a really high open rate, a ridiculously high open rate on an email is 30%. Right? And if you send an email this week and you send an email next week and you have 30% open rate this week and 30% open rate next week, 
there will be some overlap between the populations, but actually a pretty small percentage of your overall list will open both emails consecutively. And so you could send four emails a month and you know not 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 ever get a hundred percent of your audience, mm -hmm. right? With respect to you talk about opt-in, how do you decide whether you go you go with an opt-in policy or an opt-out policy? So you can you can don't do that. <laughs> no 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 yeah um, it uh, you will quickly be labeled a spammer if you do anything other than opt-in. And in fact, the way to guarantee you're never labeled spam officially is what they call double opt-in, which is someone signs up, you send them an email and say, are you sure? Click here, then they click on that email to say, yes, I'm sure. That's double opt-in, and that is considered you know, gold standard best practice. But you'll find a lot of political campaigns don't do that because the, the delta between opt-in and double opt-in <coughs> is really high. Questions about this? Is there a, how well are these integrated with cell phones? Or cell phone based platforms? Is there a specific choice that you have? What do you, well, explain what you, what you mean. So if, if these emails are going out on cell phones, mass cell phones, people have subscribed, uh, are there stats that say that one tool is better than another to view these emails on cell phones? Well, that's an interesting question. There's not a, there's no clear, easy answer to that. Uh, but um, the biggest issue with reading emails on mobile phones is um, is images in the emails. So keep your emails very text heavy, with very few images and very little design, and they'll perform much better on mobile phones. Other questions? All right, so you have your website you can publish to. When people visit it, you ask them for their email address. You have a bulk email tool that lets you talk to your, your supporters very regularly and in a really compelling way and lets you track and measure your success. In some cases, you may want to do more. Uh, there are some, uh, this is one of my clients, OneSky. You'll see here it says three simple ways to take action. Make your call, support the Clean Air Act, write a letter. And so they're using a, uh, a suite of tools uh, for political action, right? Democracy in Action is one suite. Convio is another. Blue State Digital for Democrats is another. All, all three of these you have to pay for, although Democracy in Action is quite uh, cheap. Uh, if you are running in the United States as a Republican or a Democrat, there are... Um, there are um, the parties both provide different kinds of tool sets at uh, lower costs that can help reduce your overall cost of having a contribution processing system or some of these other tools. Um, in every case, there are free tools, but the technical complexity of implementing those free tools increases substantially once you leave publishing the websites and sending emails then you really need someone who is uh, relatively tech savvy to put together some of these tools for you. Uh, but there's a wide range of possible tools after this. Now, increasingly I'm seeing more and more free tools and different ways people are using free online tools to do to create petitions, to do other things, right? 
and there's a pretty wide range there, and I would encourage you to poke around and experiment, right? Um, and uh, yeah, this is kind of this is a this is I'm trying to boil the ocean. This is a very large. There's a significant breadth in the tools, the costs, the possibilities, the opportunities, and I'm trying to you know give you a sense of it in two seconds. So YouTube has this really good feature where you can look at the stats of the video and see where the traffic is coming from. If you send emails and somebody clicks on the email link of our YouTube video, does, does, are these tools integrated with YouTube to be able to tell you that how much of the video traffic is getting is coming from? Well, you, you, you can't track it. You can't track it directly back to your email. Mm -hmm. But if someone clicks on a link in an email and it opens their web browser and they go to YouTube, mm -hmm. YouTube will capture where they're coming from. Okay. Right? Um, you know, broadly speaking, you do want to look for good, good, good tools to track where your traffic's coming from. Questions? You know, and then once, uh, once you have a website that you can easily publish, you're collecting email addresses, you're mailing them and talking to them regularly, and maybe you've added some other useful tools to your site to accomplish your goals. Now you can think about social media, the fun stuff. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Flickr, Meetup. There's actually many, many, many other possible social media platforms. Those are just some of the bigger ones and some of my favorites. But um, that, you know, then you can begin to look at all of these as additional channels for distributing your message, and as um, you know, and as tools your supporters can use to help promote your work. Questions? Yes. Once you know, uh, just I was listening yeah. and making the case. Yeah. Oh, you're just you're doing your your WordPress blog right now. It's great. Yeah. It was asking me give give me a blog of just a user name, please. What what? You want a blog? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I encourage questions like that. So, yeah. Um, how do you link? Like, most of your work will be very repetitive in most of these websites, in these social media. Uh, yeah. How do you link these so that you're not posting the same thing in 10 places? There are a variety of tools that do it. Uh, one is called uh, Hootsuit, but I'll tell you how I do it. Um, I do it mostly through Twitter. and. Twitter plugs into a pretty wide range of sites. So for example, I went to Facebook, and on my Facebook account, I added the Twitter app, gave it my Twitter name, and now I don't log into Facebook. Twitter just, when I update Twitter, it updates my Facebook automatically. And so there are ways of automating the, the, the updating across multiple platforms. And there are paid tools that help you do this too. But uh, I, I have used the paid tools in, in special circumstances. Mostly there are free ways of doing it that are just as good. Other questions? All right, so now you've got the basics down. You have a website you can publish to. 
you're collecting emails, you're talking to your email people, your supporters. You might have some other useful tools for political or organizing action of some kind, and you're using social media to get out your message. You're publishing updates on Twitter, you're adding events to uh, Meetup or Evite or uh, Eventful uh, uh, or Upcoming.org. Uh, you are publishing photos of your things, of your events and your work on Flickr. Maybe you're even publishing some videos on YouTube. Now, how do you take these tools and begin to really build campaigns in a strategic and compelling way? Let's see if I can do this in like 15 minutes. Step one, choose your moment very carefully, right? The, the internet really, uh, internet responds really well to, uh, to topical moments, right? So on the Dean campaign, uh, we, we woke up Monday morning and found out in, the, in a news story that Dick Cheney was having a $2,000 a head fundraiser for lunch, $2,000 per person for lunch. And so we just decided to start a campaign and Howard Dean was gonna have a $2 cheese sandwich for lunch. And would you give 100 bucks and have lunch with him with your $2 sandwich. It was just spur of the moment, it was timely, it was relevant, it captured people's imaginations. All the time, you should be looking at what's happening in the world, what's happening in, you know, uh, in, your, um, in your issue area, and looking for timely, relevant moments where you can make an online push, right? Where you can <laughs> run a little campaign online. The, um, I think of the internet as this wide, broad, vastly flowing river, and you're just never going to be able to uh, engage with all of it all the time, and so you kind of have to pick what spot in the river you're going to drop your dye in to change the color of the river, and you got to be very strategic about where you pick your spot to drop your dye in. I don't know if that analogy makes sense, but it does to me, right? And uh, when you pick your moment, it can't just be a mo it can't be independent. You have to have a narrative, a story that your moment kind of fits into that makes it compelling and gives it context and shape, right? Uh, you need to have a uh, you need you need to really bring your organization or your candidate, your issues, approach, and worldview to it. That's what I mean by you have to put your own lens on it. And one. One critical thing is, uh, I always try and ask people is, is this what we call ready for the telephone game? Is this ready for someone to tell someone to tell someone to tell someone to tell someone? You know, ways it's not ready for the telephone game? When I get an email that says, support House Bill 281232H, I'm not gonna tell anybody that, right? You have to think about how you can make these things, I have the term W-O-M there, word of mouth. Make these things word of mouth ready so that they're easy for people to share and explain. And uh, I also like to look for opportunities that are content rich, where you can easily and quickly get photos and videos. Who cares what the quality is? The quality of the photos and the videos is not important stories, right? How can you really build uh, build a sense of campaign very quickly? 
Questions, brother? <clears throat> How do you decide like, for content, right? I mean, you can, obviously the campaign can choose to put a lot of uh, things, or you can let the user start putting uh, stories, videos, photos. Is there a time when you decide to let the users do it, as opposed to you being the ones putting up the photos and the videos? You should always do it. Right. And when you do it, you should say, anybody else who's got photos or videos, please put them up. And you should give them keywords, or what they call tags, so that you can find those other stories and videos and what have you. And you say to people, here's my email address. If you put up a video, email it to me. Right? If you I put up a blog post, email it. Putting it up on the website that you've created for the campaign. Like when you let people start putting photos and videos and stories on your website. You should, from day one, ask people to send them to you. Send them to you. And then when you have ones you like, put them up. The infrastructure to let them put it up themselves can get complicated and take too long and be too expensive. <laughs> Ideally, you eventually get there, but don't worry about it. Just do as, you know, in the beginning, when you don't have time and you don't have a budget and you don't want to get wrapped up in building things, do as much as you can through email. Hand out your email address like it's, you know, water. Right? I'm sure you all love that idea. <laughs> you probably, none of you get enough email. <laughs> Yes, uh, my question is that you can use these, this tool set in two directions. One is building your candidature and building your narrative. And other is there are these moments where the other narrative falters or is, is weakened. So how do you leverage the same setup to do the, the other stuff as well? Yeah, opportunity favors the prepared, right? You, you need to be... Uh, you need to be you need to be ready to take these opportunities as they come your way because some of the best ones you're not going to know when they show up, right? Is that what you're asking? No, so I'm asking that on one hand, Obama has let's say a new policy coming coming back to Obama campaign. He had a new policy initiative that he wanted to announce as part of his campaign, and on other end, there was some mistake that Hillary Clinton did. So at one one end, he has an opportunity to to perpetuate his story. On the other hand, he, ha he has an opportunity to use his internet horse power to uh, do a negative campaign on Hillary Clinton. So, how do you put these two things together uh, from an online strategy standpoint? You, do you require the same set of tools? Do you require different set of tools? Do you have the same strategy or different strategy? Well, there's not an easy, clean answer to that. That just that depends a lot on the context of what's going on, right? Um, what I would broadly say is never think you can get away with anything on the internet. Never think if you do it under a different name, no one will find out it's really you. Okay? So whatever you do, you have to be honest and transparent about. And so that will affect your approach. Right? You see this a lot in politics right now where, uh, you know, uh, on with exactly this, this kind of challenge you're talking about. How do you get your supporters excited, engage them, give them constructive things to do, bring them in, bring them closer to the campaign, but at the same time, how do you attack your opponent, right? And, and what are the dynamics of using the web to do that? It's not a very useful answer, but it's the truth. Well, one question, as far as I see, most of this is really agenda surfing. So it would be that always the entrance strategy, and even if you want to set your own agenda, that you basically just enter, somehow gain popularity, gain supporters, and then Make this step with these supporters to set your own agenda, or I don't think this stuff works if you don't have an agenda. 
you got to come into it with your agenda and say, here's what we're going to do. Yeah, but, but basically what you were saying, a lot of these events, like what these um, luncheon event you mentioned, yeah. the sandwich, basically yeah. it's just, again, the surfing. So you're your opponent, um, announce this thing, and so you react, react towards what he was doing, and you react towards what oh, was happening okay. there. So basically okay. you're just yeah. following these events. Uh, no, I think you can use it to set the agenda. It's not purely reactive at all, right? Um, but similarly, you still have to look for the right moments to do it, right? There, there, uh, you know, uh, you have to, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, uh, Broadly speaking, all of the tactics you would use to set agenda, all the traditional tactics you would use to set the agenda, you can just take them online, right? Uh, th this is really a tool set, a tool set that is independent of your strategy. Does that make sense? I think. You could argue with me. <laughs> I encourage that. Other questions? Can this limitation be only with the people who would have to be there? That's true. That's a, that's, a, that's a major flaw here, right? So you have to have internet access to do this. No, I mean, you know, only those people who have to be there just only they would get the message. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you can use that to, uh, you can use that to set the agenda. This is, this is actually, here's another example, which is not, uh, which is still kind of reactive, but is about reframing an issue, right? So uh, during, the, during the presidential campaign, when Obama uh, was under attack because of his pastor, Reverend Wright, one of the first things Obama did, before he talked to the press about it, before he, you know, issued press release, before his spokespeople went on TV, he made a YouTube video and he sent it to his six million supporters and said, here is what I believe. And he really tried to frame and shape and drive the discussion of what could have been a major crisis for him in a very different way. And I would argue it was quite effective actually, right? In part because his audience was, you know, as large as any TV audience, for the most part, of any TV news show, his email is. So just because the only people who might get the message are your supporters, you're asking them to carry that to other people, right? And um, and so and you need to explicitly ask them. You need to say, you know, like Obama did on his Reverend Wright video. Here's what I think about race, and he's my pastor, and here's the story. Go tell everyone you know, right? This is the, this is how this is how I think it is. This is what what I you know this is what happened. What was the strategy that you were able to cover six million? You know, if I could answer that, I'd be a really rich man. I think right now. Um, well, running for president always helps, right? I mean, I think collecting email addresses takes time. It does not happen overnight, and it takes obsession. Every person you meet, when they give you a business card, you should ask them, can I put you on my email list? Right? 
and then you go home and you put them on your email list. And then every time someone visits your website, you step if you, if you, if you don't have if you're speaking to a group of people, you say go to my website and sign up to get emails from me, and I will I, I'm not I'm not going to spam you, but I'm going to tell you about what's really important. I'm going to write you very honest, very real emails, and uh, you look for every opportunity you can to get an email address, right? And then and then you start to have your uh, you start to have people who do this. You start to ask people, hey, get everybody you know to, to, to join my email list, right? Uh, and it, it's really traditional organizing in a, in a real sense, right? Question? Right. Okay. So in trying to turn, so we have our tools, we've identified a moment, how do we begin building a campaign? You know, a lot of uh, a lot of times you have like, it's, I, I, well, let me say I kind of hate this. I hate crisis-driven organizing, but it works really well online, and it's an important part of your online strategy. You do need a broader narrative, otherwise, if everything's crisis-driven, it becomes opportunistic and goes nowhere. But when you're looking for how to build a powerful campaign online, you look for this opportunity. Sometimes it's a crisis. And then you have to really clearly communicate to people, here is the crisis, here is the problem, here's the urgency, and here's one thing you can do right now. You need to, you need to be really prescriptive, right? You need, it needs to be couched in a theory of change and really communicate to people real-world impact. And you need to be really aggressively explicit about the goals and timeline. I need 10,000 people to call this number before noon tomorrow. I need 1,000 people to send 100 bucks so we can rent 10 more vans. You need to just be really clear about the goals, the timeline, the need. Have you come? Have you overcome the issue of collective action? Like you said, ten thousand. We need ten thousand people. What makes sure that that person who's doing that email doesn't take the ten thousand other people out there to do this? That's about your narrative, and that's about your uh, that's about the story you're telling and why I need you. Right. Right. Now, you have a moment, you've thought about how you're going to communicate this moment for maximum impact, now put it online, right? You know, you might use your advocacy tools, you might use social media, there might be some fundraising, there are other kinds of community tools, but now you just have to get it out there everywhere, anywhere, everyone, you have to really, uh, it's the equivalent of knocking on every door in the neighborhood, you have to hit every available channel, you have to circle back and, and, and remind people. You have to report back to people on your progress. Um, you know, you have to say, when, when, if you set a goal and a timeline, you have to come back to them and say, excuse me, we're halfway there. We did it, thank you. We're, oh, we're so close. We're not close at all. We really need you to pay attention. This is not working, right? Whatever it is, you have to really, uh, really hit every available channel to communicate people to build a narrative for the campaign. 
Desmond, you look like you, you, you disagree. No. No? All right. Check. <coughs> Questions? Yeah. Uh, so I have seen off late that there's, there's a very engaged discussion that happens on some of the articles uh, on the on news channels, uh, news websites. Uh, how do you tap that into this framework? Uh, yes. <coughs> well, one thing you can do is simply call, uh, you can just go on there and say, hey, I'm Nico from Nico's campaign. You know, I got this great action going on. It really matters with, it's part of this discussion. You don't just want to drop in there and like spam it. You have to have a legitimate reason to engage. Ideally, you're part of the community, so you're recognized, so you have authority in the in the in the online community. You know, you, you need to you need to be careful about how and when you do it. But that's but there are online communities you can tap into and ask them to be a part of your action. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> especially if, if you're new to an issue or space, you should go online and find the leaders in that space online, the big bloggers, the big, you know, people who start the Facebook groups, what have you, and contact them and ask if you can interview them or get to know them. Like, make some personal contact, build some relationship, get some engagement so that when you need them to participate in your action, you can go to them and make a real appeal, right? You know, you're more likely to, if I come up to you and say, I need 10 bucks right now for this, you know, to buy more pizza for this class, you're more likely to do it if you know me, if I'm some stranger who comes, if, if I accost you in the forum and say, I need 10 bucks to buy pizza for this thing over in Taubman, and you've never seen me before, and I, no, no, relationship matters, right? Even, even, the, even loose ties, right? And so, uh, there is a, the internet is in some ways, you know, a very, it's not in some ways, the internet is very community driven and being a, a you know, a legitimate uh, uh, part of that community, engaging it, not in a real way, not just asking it for money is really important to getting, you know, to getting, uh, to growing your issue, your campaign, your movement. Um. Two questions. Can you discuss more of the fundraising tools part? And then, uh, yeah, and photo streams. I'm not sure. Okay, so fundraising tools, there are three fundraising tools mentioned here, micro-giving, chip-in, and fundable. There are basically three tools where you can launch very quick online fundraising campaigns. In most cases, you will need a PayPal account, and at a minimum, and it can, take, it can take up to a couple of weeks to get a PayPal account set up, right? But micro-giving, chip, and fundable are ways to build very quick fundraising campaigns. They're very neat and useful tools. You know, photo streams is really, uh, you can, um, it's, just a, it's just a way of, photo streams is really more like a way of having a collaborative photo gallery. If everyone uploads, you know, uh, so I did this project uh, to end hunger, where we had people all over the world on one day would walk to end hunger, right? It was with the World Food Program. And um, we asked people, take a photo of the people you're walking with and text it to this number, right? 
And then you could go on our website and see all of the photos coming in from 120 some odd countries and literally thousands of events and millions of people walking, right? That's, that's like a photo stream. You don't need the permission of the person to put this photo in the website. Well, I'm not taking the photo and, and posting it. I'm asking you to take the photo and send it, right? And if you're taking photos of your friends who you're walking with, I hope you ask their permission. If you send it to you, you should post it. What's that? I mean, if, the, if, if you're getting it from some third source, no. But if they've sent it directly to you, no, I think you're going to be posting it. There's an implicit consent. Yes, it does. Okay, so Michael Giddings, recipients, do they have, we have to pay them or they are free to? Th those are, uh, those are, uh, they all have a free option, and I, some of, not all of them uh, have, some of them have paid options, but they all have some basic free tool you can use. Other questions? Is it advisable for a big organization to use some of these tools, or is it better to develop their own stuff on their own website? I think the internet is a, about speed. I would, it's about moving quickly, and developing your own tools can get complicated and expensive and take time. Right? And there are definitely conditions under which you want to, but in the beginning, if you don't know if things are going to work, move quickly and use free tools. So, how do you get six million people on your list? Well, you have to do some outreach and promotion, right? So. Uh, one is you hopefully have your own assets. You have your own email list you've been building, even if it's small and it's based on the business cards of the people you've met. You hopefully have your blog and your website and you know uh, your own uh, your own tools that you've been building and you can use right to get your word out. Next, hopefully you have some earned media. Hopefully there maybe you get a newspaper article, maybe you get a TV story, a radio story, maybe there are some bloggers who are going to write about it. And you can really encourage this and, 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 and help make this happen. Then there's paid media. You can buy advertising on the internet. You can buy, I highly recommend buying uh, Google ads, search ads. Uh, Facebook ads can be very useful because you can target them very, very aggressively. You can, you know, I talk a lot more about this in my class about online advertising strategies and how to do it pretty low budget for maximum impact. Um, I would generally stay away from any, what they call display ads, banner ads, any, any ad that needs more than text, I would stay away from, mostly because they're really expensive. And, uh, and you shouldn't do it unless you have a big budget or some other good reason to do it. But if you're low budget and you're looking for maximum impact quickly, just do uh, take some keywords, Buy Google Ads, so when people search for those keywords, your ads come up. Go to Facebook, look for everybody with the word Nico in their profile. Buy ads to them. <laughs> I wonder how many people that is now that I said that. Probably too many. My mother. And yeah. Uh, look for partnerships. Look for your allies. Do they have email lists? Do they have websites, blogs? Do they have opportunities that they'll help promote your issue, your campaign, your candidacy? 
you know, this is uh, this is a really important part of any online online campaign. And then finally, in some ways, most important is grassroots, right? Uh, figure out, that's what I was talking about earlier, figure out the online communities, the leaders in your space. Uh, do research so that you're not just spamming them, so that you really know who they are and you can approach them with legitimacy and authority and power and respect uh, and, uh, and get them engaged in your, in your campaign or your project. Right? Many friends. Hard to make friends with the internet people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not grassroots stuff. All right, now, once your campaign is off and running, you have the tools, you've found the moment, you've thought about your message, you have deployed your, your campaign into your tool sets, you have done your partnership outreach and organizing. Now, you have to watch the numbers, you have to track the metrics. Are people opening these emails? Are they taking action? Are they what are your conversion rates? If you put a link on Twitter, how many people click on it? How much are people paying attention? Website metrics, are there choke points? What do I mean by that? When someone, what percentage of your, of your website visitors visit your homepage and leave without clicking on anything? It's called your abandon rate. Right? When someone visits your website, you want them to click on something. You want them to really get pulled in and engage. Right? Look for user, or, or you can also look at your paid ads and how they're converting, what the click-through rates are. But really important, actually, is user feedback. Just ask people, right? Use something like SurveyMonkey or WUFOO, W-U-F-O-O, to ask people what they think and how is it working, right? And then uh, finally, uh, you know, make sure you're tracking things that will map to your goals. One of the challenges of the internet and technology broadly is it basically produces an infinite amount of data and you could forever be measuring everything. So really try and think carefully about what's important to your campaign and measure how, you know, figure out what the metrics are going to be important to your campaign. One of the successful things I've seen like some of the campaigns is like moveon.org and whatnot is that they integrate user opinions and whatnot, like on setting their objectives and their agenda, but that could be a kind of crazy trying to manage all that, like reading everything. Like what's it, what are good ways for organizing that input? I mean, I know like you could use just numbers that multiply ratings down the way they could do that. That's a very complicated question. Uh, there was, ju I just sent to people who took my class an article about exactly this move ons system for managing this. Um, you know, I think it gets back to any kind of research. You can become too poll-driven and misled by focus groups too, right? You just have to, uh, you have to, you have to develop some useful ways of asking for feedback and assimilating it and, and using its conclusions to shape your campaign. There's not, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution there. I mean, do they, is it, do they just kind of have a large staff to be able to do this on that? Well, MoveOn is an anomaly in that it's a purely online organization. They don't even have a building anywhere, right? And so they've developed really impressive, aggressive, and uh, dramatic systems to measure their members' engagement on different issues, to plot the course of the organization. 
right? Uh, it, it is in, uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it is leaderless, but it is a lot more leaderless than most other advocacy organizations to the extent with which it depends on its membership in a very broad way to drive its direction. So it's a very interesting anomaly in the landscape of things, right? Where was that article? Uh, personaldemocracy.com. Boris can say it. So uh, between this whole tool set, if there are specific needs that you have and you really want to search up to understand whether there's a good tool available on this or you should think about developing your own tool, what's a good way to go about it? My general advice is to avoid developing your own tool as much as possible. By the way, this is from a man whose company makes his money developing tools for people. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, one, uh, many people and organizations get overly focused on the tool and ignore the rest of it. To, uh, it it's a very serious and dangerous problem. Uh, two, tools take time and are expensive. And you should put the time, you should move quickly and put the time and the money into the organizing. And three, uh, there are a lot of free tools out there to do almost everything. And it's like, don't let, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? If, if it's not perfect, but it's still a pretty good tool, use it, right? It's more important to use it and get it out there than it is to have the perfect tool. Uh, my question was really, is there a good way to, to search for these tools? Ah. Well, I'll tell you what I do. When I need a tool, what I do is I, um, uh, I go on Facebook or Twitter and I say, does anybody know, is there a tool that does this, right? And usually there's someone who knows, right? That's what I would, uh, that's what I would recommend. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, there's not really a single good directory or something like that that I know of. I don't know if anybody else knows of a directory or anything like that. But um, uh, I, I will say there is, uh, you know, there's two things I think are pretty underutilized. Uh, one is um, TechCrunch is a tech blog. TechCrunch has a database of internet companies. And so you can go use that database to try and find companies that may do what you need. But that can be a little hit or miss because sometimes the language you use to describe your need is not the language they use to describe their product, even if it matches up pretty closely. Uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag because you don't really want to give Google any more control or power, in my humble opinion. But Google has a lot of great free tools, way more than you think, most of them underutilized. Uh, the other thing I would say, you know, just to circle back, there's actually the main reason why you shouldn't spend a lot of time and money to build anything from scratch is because you just don't know what's going to work yet, right? And so use a free or very cheap tool and see if it works. And if it works, then you can put more money into developing a more sophisticated approach. 
other questions? The last step is follow-up. I said some of this earlier. Communicate back to your supporters what's happening, right? Individual, like show them that their individual action is part of a collective action which leads to real progress, right? Follow up really aggressively with action takers. Be as personal as you can. Uh, I like to, on any big campaign we do, I'll just randomly call 10 or 20 people who took action, thank them, find out why they took action, ask them what, what could be better. Uh, if I don't have the number, I'll send them an email and ask if we could set up a time to talk on the phone, right? The minute someone takes an action is the best time to get them to take another action. The thank you page, thank you for donating, thank you for signing up, thank you for whatever, is your single best moment to get people to do something else. And so always have a next action. TAF, tell a friend. Thank you for signing up. Please tell your friends about this work. Right? But keep it real. Don't waste their time. Don't make up things for them to do. You don't have anything for them to do. Say, thank you. Here's something interesting you might want to read. Uh, in your follow-up, that's a good chance to introduce other channels like Twitter or blogs or YouTubes, right? And always be trying to connect individual, the individual tasks and actions and these moments, these opportunities. Always try and connect them to the broader narrative, to your broader mission, right? Keep it really contextualized in your story. sign up for my email list. I'm going to send you one email a month, 12 emails this month, 12 emails this year. I really should try and sit down at the beginning of the year and or whatever the time frame is and think about what is the narrative arc, what story am I telling here, right? And I want to keep that story, that thread consistent, that message through each of these emails, right? And Earlier I said that there's a, it's, it can be very challenging to get people consecutive repeat open rights on emails. But if you're telling a very good story, and each email is like another installment in the story, a la Charles Dickens, right? your emails go up. The open rate goes up every time because people are not opening every single one to see what's happening next. This is easiest on an on a exciting political campaign when there is this story, and what's happening next, and where are we going, and there's a clear endpoint, right, which is election day. It's really easy to do it in that context. It can be much more challenging to, to, to do in other contexts, in issue advocacy or other kinds of campaigns that aren't you know, election related. But you still need to look for your story, right? Who are you, and why is this important? Oh, I better wrap up. <laughs> Recap. Seize your moment. Define your ask. Set up the online action with all of your assets, all your tools. 
Focus on outreach and promotion to get this into really wide distribution. Watch the numbers. Make sure you know what is happening. Close the loop, close the loop and follow up. And then you'll win. Or have died trying. Can you talk a little bit about uh, search engine optimization of the website? How, how can I make sure that, I, that I'm in the first three Google hits? There is a gigantic industry where people spend billions them. of dollars <laughs> to answer this question. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, there are a handful of things we know is very important to Google. The Google search algorithm is based on the idea of academic citation. Forget the internet. The guys who started Google were scientists in an academic setting, and you knew a scholar or an academic paper was important based on how many other papers cited it after it was published. If you and you're seeking tenure at any point, this is critical to, to getting tenure. How many other people have cited your work? So Google uses citation as a proxy for authority. So the more outside sources that cite you, the more, the more authority you have in search results. Which means links. Yes, citation in the, in the internet context for Google is links, right? And Google has complicated ways of measuring it. If the White House or New York Times website links to you, that's a lot better than if my mother's website links to you. It's a lot more authority, right? The, there are other things that matter, right? Your uh, Google tends to like blog formats, tends to prefer those, find those friendly. One reason is that blogs tend to use something called a ping service, P-I-N-G. Uh, another reason is that blogs are hopefully all built on RSS, a, a syndication format that uh, makes, you know, that, is, that, that Google likes because it's easy to parse, more or less. I'm kind of dramatically simplifying some things here. You know, the, the, both the, the length of time you've been on the internet, if you started your blog yesterday versus starting it 10 years ago, the frequency with which you publish every day, if, you know, if it's a three-year-old page, if you haven't updated this page on your website in three years versus a page you updated yesterday, the, um, you know, frequency if you update every day, I may be repeating myself now, I've lost track. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff. Now, here's my uh, word of caution. There are lots of exceptions, but generally, when I think about websites, especially political websites and nonprofit websites and issue websites, approximately 10% of your traffic is going to be from search, maybe as high as 20%. The vast majority of your traffic is going to be from the emails you send. There are other things that drive traffic, like hot stories and issues in the press. It's very rare for any one story to drive a lot of traffic, or any one media outlet. But if it's a story that's on a lot of media outlets and a lot of variations, that'll drive up your site traffic. 
Um, and so when you're thinking about the relative weight to give to search engine optimization, 10 to 20% of your attention budget, et cetera, because that's about how much of your traffic might come to be. But I'm sure there are plenty of exceptions, but that's, I think, a useful rule of thumb. Could you talk about blogs in the bigger sense? In other words, I could start my own blog, just me, but can you talk about the more established ones and what impact they have and how they get established and drive their traffic and connections? Um, sure, there are two ways to think about blogs, right? One way of thinking about them is just an easy way for anybody to publish anything on the internet, right? It's an accessibility tool. Another way of thinking about blogs is as a media entity, right? As like newspapers and blogs and radio stations, right? And in the context of, in that kind of context, uh, you know, there are different kinds of blogs. There are some blogs that are really one or two people who are effectively journalists, right? Even if they have their own opinion and slant to things. Uh, or there may be a lot of, um, or there are blogs that are community blogs where a lot of people participate and create them, right? And uh, on any given issue or any given region you care about, you should try and identify these blogs that have followings and communities and that shape opinion, just like you should figure out what radio shows people are listening to and what what you know what newspaper they read right um, and uh, how you engage them depends on kind of who you are and the context and sometimes you engage them just like you would try and engage a big journalist right sometimes you engage them much more like members of the community right or as part of your organizing effort um, but but uh, they straddle this line between you know, journalism, media property, community, town hall, and uh, and kind of uh, meeting place or or um, you know coffee clutch. Can I ask a follow-up? Is yeah. something like the Huffington Post? I am confused if that's a, would you consider a blog or is she a more online journalist? Just as an example, something like that. I would call it a community blog, okay. right? Okay. That's how I would call. That's what I would call it. Mm -hmm. But that is definitely a major media property, okay. right? I mean, Huffington Post has a lot of traffic and is managed. It, it is a business model. It's predicated on advertising and page views. According to I just worked on um, the Huffington Post, and according to Technorati, it's the most authoritative uh, blog, uh, political blog. It's like the biggest in. Huge in subscribers, do you mean? And also writers. Don't you think we got a large outsourced staff? There are at least two Kennedy schoolers who write for it. Oh. Well, most of the top blogs, I think, have like decent staffs. Like the I know, but the Huffington Post, I think, has thousands of contributors okay. as opposed to Much internet 
penetration? Yeah. What do you still so, want to do with the uh, So two two thing two ways I would think about this. One is in a country without internet penetration, I would design PDFs that people could easily print out and photocopy. Right? I would write emails that you'd say, please print this email out and, and photocopy it and post it in your community or pass it out, right? Whatever the context is. You know, I think one of the great underestimated technology tools of the last decade is the, uh, is the desktop printer, right? Which suddenly puts the ability to, you know, print brochures in lots of people's hands. So, uh, so I would focus. That would be a key thing I would focus at. The the second thing I would say is that uh, you know there there have been a lot of interesting, or I don't know a lot, but there have been a f some case studies on mobile use, right? Uh, which you have to be careful about because mobile use can mobile is not mobile is very expensive in any in any country, any context. But if it is if it is word of mouth on mobile, it's I get a text message and I forward it to my three friends and they forward it and they forward it versus I'm sending a text message to 20,000 people. I, like, then it makes more sense. Send a text message to 200 people and say, please forward this to everyone you know, right? And the problem with text messaging is you're really constrained by the space. The most effective text messaging, in my opinion, is to drive people for event turnout. 3 p.m., the forum, come, you know, wish Nico a happy birthday. What are services for tech, for tech messaging? Uh, well, there are, um, this varies widely country to country based on their mobile providers and mobile networks. You know, in the, um, in the United States, I'm fond of one called Textmarks, T-E-X-T-M-A-R-K-S. Uh, which is a version of Google Groups, essentially, but for SMS. Um, so, unlike presidential campaigns in the United States, um, for example in Spain and many other countries, I think, um, general election campaigns, say, are fought on sort of local and general issues, to the extent that there's a local member of parliament that you vote for that then goes on and vote for the presidential candidate. So how do you balance the sort of um, local campaigning, local, um, local issues with a general one in terms of uh, what predominates, what, um, whether you have keep separate lists for different issues, for the different candidates? Um. to skin that cat, and I'm not sure what the most effective one would be. Like, my general inclination is to keep it as, my general advice is to keep it as local as possible, right? Do it based on locality. Um, because that helps, because that's part of your organizing strategy, basically, mm -hmm. right? That's my general advice. But it's hard to say there's a it's hard to give you good rules for doing it because, I mean, yeah, it's quite something that campaigns struggle like in the traditional. Yeah. 
have you come across any uh, great examples, just like a wide campaign, of new new media and internet-based campaigns in anywhere else in the, in the world, especially developing world? Well, this is not really my area of expertise, so I would in some ways open it up to the... I know there's plenty of... I know, I feel like every day somebody emails me some fascinating campaign. A couple of years ago, there was a huge anti-FARC movement on Facebook in Colombia. Um, you know, there's a lot of... There's a lot... I just read something about something happening in the Czech Republic last week. I mean, it feels like every time I turn around, there's something happening. But... Uh, uh, I would I would open it up to anybody who would have any ideas about that. In the sense of building infrastructure for it, I know that Google, in the last major parliamentary elections in India, started doing lots of polling places, getting put mm -hmm. online, and making neutral information much more available. I don't know how widely that got consumed after they did so, but there was a big push to start getting people to look to the internet for those kinds of things. Actually, post fact it. It, it got wider uh, consumption. Yeah. Post elections was when a lot of people figured out that there was something like this. Like. That's, that's building momentum for next time. Yeah. <clears throat> Other questions? Uh, so, there is a whole new dimension of e papers uh, where articles are printed by uh, print news online. Is there other tools that where you can? Look for your coverage on various articles and your opponent's coverage on various articles. That's a good question. There are a variety of monitoring tools. The best free one is provided uh, by Google, Google Alerts. You just give Google a keyword, and every time that keyword shows up, it'll email you. I would, I would avoid generic keywords like White House, because you'll get every White House that goes for sale everywhere in the world. Right? You know, that kind of thing. So uh, there are also services you can pay for. On the cheaper end of the spectrum is a product called Viral Heat. So I can't remember, it's five or ten bucks a month. You can kind of graduate up the spectrum to more expensive services like Radian 6. I think there's one I haven't used here in Harvard Square called Crimson Hexagon. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of, there's a wide range of monitoring services uh, that all accomplish different things. Viral Heat tends to be more focused on social media, blogs, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Google Alerts is more focused on traditional news and e-news. Other questions? All right. I think we're about at the end. Thank you all very much for coming. I hope this was useful.